This morning, we're continuing our sermon series called The Mystery Revealed, and our scripture reading is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, good to be here with you. Um, Well, we're in a five-week series looking at our vision of seeing our city renewed by the gospel, and we're just considering what would it take and what would it look like for us to live out this vision together? And to do this series, we're spending time in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And um, the subtext of this letter is simply this. The world is broken. It is in disharmony. And you don't even have to be religious to know that. Things are breaking down all over the place but Paul, as he writes, he's saying this. He's saying there is a, there's a mystery. You see, long ago, God had made a promise that he was going to restore that which was broken, that which was lost, that which was out of harmony, and actually bring it back together. And he made a promise a long time ago, but there's been this question. How is that going to be resolved? How is that going to happen? And Paul uses this term mystery, and it literally means this. It's now been revealed. It's no longer hidden. And the mystery is Christ. He is the one that restores harmony. And last week, we saw how Christ, the mystery, restored the disarray and disharmony in our relationship to God. We saw how in Christ, God takes dead people, not bad people, dead people, and he makes them alive, and he makes them for good. But this week, we get a different aspect of how Christ brings about harmony in a broken world. And it's a disharmony we experience across race, gender, across classes, 
or if you're in middle school, across the lunchroom. You know, one of the strange ways that this was illuminated to me a number of years ago was in a book by Alvin Plantinga Jr. And he, as he's writing, he's, he's imagining a world in which this biblical world of shalom would break in, or peace. And he's imagining what that would look like. And just listen to this brief paragraph. He says this, There would be strong marriages, secure children. Nations and races would treasure differences. Government officials would still take office, but to nobody's surprise, they would tell the truth and freely praise the virtues of other public officials. Business associates would rejoice in one another's promotions. Here's my favorite. Middling Harvard students would respect the Phi Beta Kappas from the University of South Dakota and would seek to learn from them. There's something about the imagination of Planning Jr. that it almost like for me just turns up the dial. Like I already knew this world is broken. I already knew relationships were breaking down or were already lost. But when he imagines what this could look like, it turns it up. And listen, you don't have to be religious to want this. You don't have to be religious to know that this is not a reality that we live in, right? And yet, the text that was just read, as Paul's writing, he's saying this, something's happened. These two groups that were entirely at odds with one another, now in Christ, have been created to be one new humanity. In other words, here's what the gospel does, or here's what the mystery in Christ does. It takes those who would never get along on the outside. And it actually moves them to be a body that learns to love one another on the inside. And that's what this passage shows us. So we're going to see three things here. The root cause of our divisive humanity. The cure that creates this new humanity. And then thirdly, a call. A call to live out this new humanity. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, firstly, the root of our divisive humanity. Um, Paul opens up the passage, and he's talking about this relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And if you were to sit down with the Jews in that moment, as they talked about the Gentiles, they probably would have talked about the immorality of the other nations, their, their worship of false gods. And if you'd have sat down with the Gentiles, you'd have heard them speak about the narrowness of what the Jews believed and about maybe a sense of maybe them being self-righteous about what they believed. And because of these differences, the normal mode of operation was separation. They didn't eat together. They obviously didn't worship together. And for thousands of years, that relationship, Paul describes in verse 14, being 
one of hostility. And Paul says the dividing wall which separated them, which separated the Jews from the Gentiles, which caused the hostility, was the law that God had given them, that had given the Jews, which governed their ethics and shaped their worship. And it's right here, is the relationship of the Jews-Gentiles, where we see a principle. It's an important principle because this is the root cause of our divisive humanity. Here's what it is. We take oftentimes morally neutral things and we build our identity to it. We attach our identity to it. And then it makes us feel superior to others and it brings hostility. For the Jews, the law was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. But it became something oftentimes that made them feel superior. And consider for a moment, you know, in May we are back in the book of Jonah. If you know anything about Jonah, he was sent to Nineveh, another nation. And he didn't want to go. Why? Because he didn't want God to show mercy on them. He had entitlement. He had pride. He had self-righteousness. And friends, we're no different. Think for a moment of racism. It's simply my skin color or the values of my people make me better than those of a different race. Or consider politics. I mean, I had a friend not too long ago, had a number of friendships in his neighborhood, and yet when they found out who he voted for in the last election, they stopped talking to him. Now, let me get personal for a moment here because I, I do this. Um, it's a little, I mean, there's a lot, in a lot of different ways, but as I was reflecting on this week, um, here's one way. Her family got a gym membership. We've been going there quite a bit. And um, it's really weird. This gym, there will be people who will stand in front of the mirror and they will just pose. Like right there. And like there's dozens of people around them. It's really awkward for me Apparently, maybe not them, but here's what goes through in my mind. They are so vain. They are so self-centered. I am so much better than them. (laughs) Now, here's the reality, right? Like, that could be me, but I'm just not big enough to do that, right? If somebody saw me do that, they'd be like, get a reality check, right? But think for a moment. It's, it's in that moment. It's me creating this us-them mentality. So the root of our divisive humanity is we attach our identity and it creates division among race, education, religion, ethnicity, politics, social causes. We set our value and our significance and we define ourselves against the other. And it creates hostility. So what's the cure? What's incredible about this passage, there's this division between Jews and Gentiles that have been there for thousands of years. And yet in verse 14, look at what Paul says brings them together. Paul says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. 
the pronoun he is referring to Jesus. And just think for a moment what this is saying. This is saying, what has brought about unity? What has bridged the gap of this division? In the most fundamental division of the first century world, it's not some new philosophy. It's not some first new morality. It's Christ. It's a person. He, he has become their peace. He has been the one that's brought about unity in the midst of division. So how has he done it? How has he brought about unity? Look at verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Did you catch that? How did Christ bridge the gap? In other words, how did Christ slay the hostility? It says through the cross. Listen, this is so different than how the world operates. This is so upside down. Here's what this means. Christ dying for you and for me does not merely change our relationship to God. It changes the relationships across race, education, socioeconomic groups, political affiliations, etc. And here's why. It changes the fundamental place of where you find your identity. Listen, in the gospel, in Christ, first of all, as one pastor would put it, it, it humbles each one of us. I mean, last week we saw our starting point is we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the fundamental identity. We are in need of saving and of rescuing. Which means whatever differences there are in the gospel, we are equally lost. In other words, at the very core, we are more alike than any of our other differences because we are in need of Christ. But secondly, because of the gospel, because of the value that God places on each one of us, and that God was willing to send Jesus to die for us, it means this, that no matter who you are, you matter to God. And therefore, whoever you look out at, they matter to God. No matter your background. And listen, it doesn't eliminate the differences. But what it does do, it says, in Christ, what you have in common in Him is greater than any of those other differences. You see, in the gospel, Christ kills the hostility because you can't look at those around you in the gospel, and truly feel superior to anyone. Whether it's in a gym around people who are flexing, or across race, or across economics, or across other divisions, in this passage, it is Christ who is the one who's bringing peace. 
And, you know, historically speaking, the gospel transformed the communities where it was planted in that first century. Tim Keller writes this. The early Christians mixed races and classes in ways that seemed scandalous to those around them. The Greco-Roman world tended to despise the poor, but Christians gave generously, not only to their own poor, but to those of other faiths. In broader society, women had very low status, being subjected to high levels of female infanticide, forced marriages, and lack of economic equality. But Christianity afforded women greater security and equality. And then he closes out with this, because listen, we're talking about a very exclusive claim. This is Christ and Christ alone. It's a very exclusive claim in a very polytheistic world, but how could that claim do that? And here's what Keller writes. Because at the very heart of their view of reality was a man who died for his enemies, praying for their forgiveness, and reflection on this could only lead to a radically different way of dealing with those who are different from them. This is incredible. Do you see the expansiveness of the gospel? It's all in the mystery. It's all in the mystery that's found in Christ. So lastly, there's a call. There's a call to live out in this new humanity. So one of the most incredible movements of this letter, in fact, um, there's one commentary that notes, the, the heart of the letter is actually verses 14 through 18. I want to focus for a moment on just verses 15 and 16. Because look at what Paul writes about what's happening here. Again, it says this, that, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Now notice, Paul does not say that the reason why Christ died was for the forgiveness of our sins, though that is wonderfully true. Wonderfully true. But what does he say? What's the purpose? To create in himself one new man in place of the two. A new humanity, one body. In chapter one, he says, this body, guess what it is? It's the church. And I know this brings baggage, right? Like some of you are just like, are you serious? This is where you lost me, right? Because you got baggage related to church, but... Can, can we just pause here for a moment? Would you consider, listen, the reason why Christ died was to create the church and that the church was to be a place where whatever differences were there on the outside, because of what Christ had done, it would actually bring people together on the inside because it changes the fundamental identity dynamic of their lives. You know, some of you work at, soft, at a you know, large software company. Some do, not all. But, you know, I mean, you, you know what it's like when you release new code, right? A new software upgrade or whatever, you send it out. And, you know, it, it always has to be updated, but there's right, right, the, the beta launch of it, right? It's this new thing that's building out this new thing that can do this thing. <clears throat> Here's the point. The church is to be the beta launch of where all things are headed when Christ ultimately fulfills his kingdom. 
There's a lot of bugs. But the church is the beta launch. And what's interesting here is Paul's talking about what Christ has done. He closes out this section giving these Jews and Gentiles, remember, they're so different from one another. So different. He gives them three images, three metaphors of who they are. So look, look, look at them with me here, because it's got to change our identity of how we view those around us in the church. Look at verse 19. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Paul begins by saying, you belong together because you're in a new kingdom. You're citizens. You know, if you've ever traveled overseas, or maybe you're not from, like, Wisconsin, right? And you're from another part of the country, you're like, this place is so different. Um, Paul is saying this, in the gospel, in Christ, as you look across, as Jews and Gentiles look, look across in Christ, you are now citizens of a new country. In other words, you're, this is the unique part about the church, is that the church is to be a place, a counterculture, where actually the outside world looks in and says, how does this place deal with sex, money, and power differently than those out there? And they got to look in and they got to see themselves and yet not see themselves. But secondly, Paul says in verse 19, he almost, I mean, this is up in the ante, but he gets even more, his, his imagery is remarkable. He says this in verse 19, that you're members of the household of God. He says, whatever your differences are in Christ, guess what? Your family. In verse 18, it says, you both, talking about Jews and Gentiles, have access to the same Father by one spirit. You're the same father. You know, when, when I was growing up, we would have family reunions uh, on my mom's side, and it was a little bit of a larger family. Um, but my mom's brother, one of them, was, had Down syndrome. And I always remember, you know, being out the community uh, when we go up visit, and we'd be out with my Uncle Bill, who had Down syndrome. And it's always one of those things where you always knew in the regular world, how much he didn't fit in. Just different. But one of the things that was most remarkable about when, when we got all together as a family, I'll just tell you this much, like, he absolutely, wonderfully belonged. The, the, the love that was shown him. Why? Because he's family. You see what, in one sense, what Paul is saying here is, no matter your differences, the church is a family, your brothers and sisters as you look around, and actually you are meant to live that out. This is to be a place, whatever the difference is, which actually you belong. And everybody's got like the crazy uncle, right? Like even that person belongs, right? That's supposed to be the vision of the church. It's who we are. But then thirdly, in verse 22, this is what Paul says. It says, In him, referring to Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And what Paul's referring to here is this image of a temple. 
the Old Testament was a place where God's special presence dwelt. If you wanted to encounter God, that's where you went. And what Paul is saying now, now, Jews and Gentiles in Christ, this is being built together to be the place where God's Spirit dwells. Do you want to encounter God? This is what's remarkable. Yes, God's Spirit dwells in you as a spirit of a deposit when you put your faith in Him. But actually, to encounter Him, it takes community. And that's remarkable to think about. Because really, at the end of Ephesians 2, what you really have is Paul's writing to a multi-ethnic community called the church. And he's saying, you know how you got here? Because Christ. He took you who were dead and he's made you alive. And he's made you for good. And now he's made you one. So what does that mean? Let, let me give you two implications. Um, Redeemer City, those who are kind of like the normal crowd. If you're visiting today, I'm not talking to you, all right? Um, if it's simply because of the grace of Jesus that we are here, and it's not because of our race or education it's not because of a family background, but it's simply because of Jesus and what he's done. And the entry point into this community is simply the gospel, which means anyone and everyone is welcomed. Then what would it mean for us to take a step towards those who are very different from us? What is, what is holding us back? What might be holding us back? Listen, when I think about Redeemer City, we moved here in 2019. And here's my hope, right? Like in some dynamic, my hope is that 20 years from now, as we gather on a Sunday, and as we do life together, that those that worship here would actually reflect the neighborhood in which we live. I know as soon as I open my mouth, I'm speaking a different language than some. And all those different dynamics are there. It's all real. But what I'm trying to say is if the gospel's big enough, if it's, if it's ex expansive enough, and it welcomes all, then are you ready to be a little bit uncomfortable maybe? And I'm not saying it's going to happen next week. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying as we're faithful to the mission, what is God going to do? Because here's what I'd love to see. In the city of Fitchburg and Madison, those who don't get along on the outside, what if there was a family here rooted in Christ who is working out in a very messy way how to love one another as family? Because that's what we're called to. We ought to be the most hospitable community in the city. The only thing, hear this, the only thing that should offend people should be Christ. 
That's what we want. Nothing else. All right. If you're new, perhaps it's your first week, or maybe you've been here for a while, just checking things out on Sunday. Let me put it this way in front of you. Would you take another step in to this community? Listen, if, if, the, if Christ, who is the mystery, who is the one bringing about harmony in this world, is the one who's actually come to create the church, then in one sense, like, if it's central to him, then at some level, it ought to grow and be central to our lives collectively. And I'm saying this, would you take one step closer now, maybe for some of you, you know, you're kind of one of those people that's like, I have some time for church, but Madison is a really fun place to live. Weekends, I'm out, whatever. Can I, can I just challenge you for a moment? Maybe you're here like every so often. Would you take a season? And would you on Sunday morning pencil out the time and regularly worship with Redeemer City? Or maybe another church? that preaches about Christ and the gospel. Because listen, Paul says, this is actually a place where God dwells. This is where his presence is. You want to encounter God, it actually takes community. Or some of you, maybe, maybe it means actually stepping into a city group. I mean, that's another step where you get to get around some other people who are working this out. What it means to follow Jesus. It's a place where you can actually become to come to be known for who you are and vice versa. You can get to know others. And I know some of you right now, you've been hurt by the church. You're scared of stepping in maybe that next thing. I mean, maybe just come throw axes with us guys on like October 7th. I don't know. But step in, and if you don't get hurt, then, you know, just maybe come back the next time, right? But here's what I'll say, is some of you have been hurt by the church. And I was talking to one of my friends not too long ago, and here's the most interesting thing, is that if you've been hurt by the church, he said this, it actually takes the church to be healed. And to be honest, I mean, we're, this is not, I mean, this right here can seem polished, but I'll just say out there when we're doing life together, right, like it's, it's going to be messy, but would you take another step in? Because this is why Christ has come. This is what the mystery has done. Listen, in the gospel, he has made you, he has taken you who are dead and he has made you alive and he has made you for good And now hear me, he has made you one. Let's pray. Father, um, as we consider what your son Jesus has done, uh, in so many ways, it almost just seems unobtainable. (laughs) All the differences in this room and out there. Uh, but, but we would pray 
by your spirit that you would form us and shape us, that you would help us to identify those things that we attach ourselves to that are not of you, that fundamentally are not rooted in this gospel where we were equally lost and yet equally loved in Christ. And would you transform our relationships here? And we ask this all for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen.